Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. I'm Marianne Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of a great group of authors called Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. If you'd like to know more about me and or my writings, please visit maryannpoll.com. You can also find any of my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and where all good books are sold. Today I want to tell you about three haunted locations. If they are in your neck of the woods, maybe you'll get to check them out. If you do, I'd love to hear about your experiences. You can always email me at m-a-r-y-a-n-n at percent sign m-a-r-y-a-n-n-p-o-l-l dot com. The first location is the Titus Homestead. The story of the Titus Homestead in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, seems to lend proof to that fact that the dead walk the earth. The Titus Homestead is located near Plymouth. First settled in 1769, Plymouth was an early pioneer settlement in the Wyoming Valley of northeastern Pennsylvania. Its location along Susquehanna River and at the junction of several important Indian trails made Plymouth the ideal place for a trading post. When coal was discovered in the area in the early 19th century, Plymouth, like its neighbor Wilkes Bar, became a thriving mining town. Dennis Titus, one of the three miners killed in October of 1885 when the Delaware and Hudson mine collapsed, owned Titus Homestead. After his death, his daughter Cora and widow, Mary Titus stayed in the family home on Vine Street until 1900 when Mary remarried and moved out of the town. Although four generations of the Titus family lived on this homestead, the original owner's name is unknown. Reported to be one of the oldest houses in Plymouth, its construction dates back to the Revolutionary War. In May of 1897, Mary Titus began experiencing strange and peculiar happenings inside her home. Residents in the area reported hearing strange knocking sounds throughout the house any time, day or night. These sounds came from the basement. Yet, whenever Mary or Cora went down to the wooden stairs, the knocking stopped, and they found the cellar empty. At first, Mary attributed this knocking and pounding to some natural cause, like the settling of the house on its foundation. But when visitors heard the knocking sounds, they were immediately frightened out of their wits. The knocks seemed to be coming up through the floorboards, and guests swore they could feel the pounding in the soles of their feet. No, this was not the sound of a house settling. Neighbors witnessed the knockings and rappings inside the Titus home. They thought they had found a supernatural explanation when the neighbors learned that the strange sounds began almost immediately after company officials reopened the portion of the mine where Dennis Titus had met his death. Some of the Plymouth miners visited the house on Vine Street to hear the eerie sounds for themselves, and many said the knocks were identical to those heard in the mines after the cave-in had entombed them. Mary, however, did not buy this explanation. Her husband's body had been recovered from the mine and given a proper burial, and whomever 
or whatever was haunting the Titus home seemed to have little interest in the widow. The unwelcome entity appeared to have peculiar fascination with Mary's daughter, Cora. Since the knocking began, Cora was subject to fits of hysterics. St. Vitus's dance afflicted her, too. This disease causes the victim to twitch and jerk uncontrollably. Cora claimed that she had seen the ghost and it followed her from room to room. Mary Titus came to believe that Cora's malady might explain the tapping noises. One day, while sitting at the kitchen table, there came the sudden sound of tapping from beneath the floor. Mary noticed a tapping sound every time her daughter's foot twitched involuntarily. The mystery, it seemed, had a perfectly rational explanation. Cora was diagnosed with hysteria and St. Vitus's dance. Today, we know that St. Vitus's dance comes from a specific childhood bacterial infection and not from demonic possession or supernatural forces. 80% of the cases involve patients between the ages of 7 and 11, and it, it is exceedingly rare in a person over the age of 16. However, Cora was nearly 20 years of age when she first began experiencing these convulsions. Also, Cora's disease did not explain why numerous witnesses heard knocking and pounding noises even when Cora wasn't present. Mary Titus eventually remarried and moved out of the neighborhood, settling into a new home on Courtright Street in the nearby borough of Plains. Cora also got married and moved to Courtright Street, leaving the Titus homestead abandoned and stories of the haunted house forgotten. That is, until 1903. In the March of that year, some young boys were playing inside the abandoned Titus home. They were digging holes in the cellar's dirt floor when they noticed a chunk of wood sticking out of the ground by the building's foundation. Further digging revealed a wooden box about three feet in length and one foot in width. With thoughts of buried treasure in their curious minds, the young boys pried open the lid and found a bundle of bones inside. Rather than being frightened, the youngsters were disappointed. One of the boys thought the relics might be worth something, so they gathered up several bones and approached a local junk dealer who gave the children a few pennies. The boys immediately ran off to buy candy. The junk man showed the bones to Dr. C.L. Ashley, who recognized one of the fragments as a piece of a human breastbone. When authorities arrived, they found the bones to be so brittle they practically crumbled at the slightest touch. Belief is the original owner built atop a long-forgotten burial ground of a centuries-old homestead. But they also made another exciting discovery. Over the years, as the house settled, part of the foundation settled upon the lid of the wooden box, causing it to break. Is it possible a spirit couldn't rest in peace after the house's foundation broke through the coffin? Is it possible the knocking sounds heard by Mary and Cora and dozens of visits to the tightest home result from this disruption? We may never know. I must admit, though, it's a great mystery. The second location I wanted to bring to your attention is the McKay Mansion. The McKay Mansion is in Virginia City, Nevada, and is one of Nevada's most haunted houses. This manor house is a beautiful three-story Victorian with a hand-carved staircase, business office, parlor, living room, kitchen on the ground floor, and bedrooms and bathrooms. You'll also see the first indoor bathroom in Virginia City at the McKay Mansion, the silver set John had made for his wife, and many other fine furnishings. Located at 129 South D Street in Virginia City, Nevada today, this stunning house is a museum and the home of many of Virginia City's ghosts. The current owners offer tours of the house. McKay Mansion, along with the rest of Virginia City's historic district, was added to the National Register of Historic places in 1961. Mining superintendent George Hurst built this gorgeous mansion in 1859. Hurst not only lived here, but also ran the Gould and Curry Office Mining Agency from the mansion. This practice was not uncommon in the mid-1800s. 
Many buildings served as mining offices and were designated as mansions if they resembled houses in the slightest bit. In the early 1870s, Irish immigrant John McKay moved into the mansion. McKay controlled the Kentuck, Helen Norcross, and Belcher Mines and the Gould and Curry office. Incredibly, the mansion survived the Great Fire of 1875 that tore through Virginia City, causing millions in damages. McKay was known for his incredible woodworking talent. McKay and Hearst carved and or created much of the original furniture and ornate wood. McKay partnered with James Fair and the two men discovered the most significant silver deposit in North America. The treasure mainly consisted of gold bullion. In addition to the exquisite furnishings and impressive mining history, McKay Mansion is also rumored to be extremely haunted. Many paranormal experts claim the mansion is a melting pot full of Virginia City's lost souls. Here are some of the ghosts visitors you might encounter on a trip to the house. There's a pair of bandits who tried to rob McKay of his fortune. A security guard shot and killed both of them. Their spirits are said to haunt this exact location. There's a little girl dressed in white. She reportedly fell down a staircase to her death and now haunts the upper floor bedrooms. When Johnny Depp stayed here while filming the movie Dead Man, he claims the little girl visited him in his room and sat on the foot of the bed. A second ghost of a little girl. Mansion staff named this two ghosts, Lily and Emma. Many people who tour the house have reported feeling a tug on their clothing, likely the girls wanting to play. One of the small upstairs bedrooms is constantly messy, and staff believes it is due to one of the little girls climbing into bed each night. An adult woman. She floats around the second floor and has been seen sitting in the living room. Many believe this to be Mrs. McKay's spirit. A busy woman. This apparition is likely a former servant who frequently climbs up and down the stairs. This apparition seems to travel between floors often. Visitors see orbs of light moving up and down the stairs as well. The apparition of an old colonel. This spirit hangs out in the kitchen and is credited with, or maybe blamed for, more sounds of footsteps going up and down the stairs and unexplained noises coming from the third floor. Psychics who have visited the mansion claim to see him or feel his presence. And then there's a shadowy man. Visitors report seeing a shadow man, widely believed to be John McKay himself. Psychics report seeing dozens of ghosts walking around the grounds of the home. Nevada has plenty of supposedly haunted places, but the McKay Mansion in Virginia City might be the most haunted house in the state. And last but not least is the Joshua Ward House in Salem, Massachusetts. The Joshua A. Ward House can be found just one block south of Townhouse Square in the heart of historic Salem. The Joshua Ward House is an impressive three-story brick federal-style structure and is now the home to businesses. The Massachusetts Historical Commission restored it beautifully. Retired sea captain turned merchant Joshua Ward built this home in the mid-1780s. While visiting Salem in October of 1789, George Washington stayed here as the honored guest of Joshua Ward. In the late 1800s, this structure became an upscale hotel called the Washington Hotel. The house faced a shaky future during the 20th century. As land near downtown is valuable, changes were coming for this property with a building in need of TLC. In 1970, a developer approached the Salem Redevelopment Authority to demolish the house and build a commercial building. The authority turned his offer down. Instead, funds were raised to restore the mansion. Because of these efforts, the former home and hotel became a commercial enterprise with businesses moving in to set up business offices. In the early 1980s, a real estate company named Carlson Realty bought the Joshua Ward House. 
intending to turn it into their headquarters. After moving in, an employee named Dale Lewinsky began taking photographs of the staff members to add a welcome display. Lewinsky was using a Polaroid camera to snap head and shoulders, passport-style pictures. After photographing a colleague by the name of Lorraine St. Peter, a peculiar sight greeted Lewinsky. Instead of showing Lorraine St. Peter, the Polaroid developed but showed a strange, black-haired female figure, the apparition completely overshadowed and even replaced St. Peter. Robert Ellis Cahill published a reproduction of this photo in his book, Haunted Happenings. Ellis, himself an ex-sheriff, describes St. Peter as both genuinely frightened and embarrassed by the picture. The possibility of the photograph being a hoax is ever-present, but the house endures frequent paranormal events. So, it's almost as if it's more unlikely to not capture something bizarre on camera. Whether it is accurate or not, it is truly a bizarre photograph, one that certainly seems to contain a degree of menace and so starkly strange as to create fright in the onlooker, primarily upon first viewing. So, to delve a little further into the history of this house, Joshua Ward built his mansion on the land where the infamous Sheriff George Corwin had his house, jail, during the 1680s. Corwin was a bloodthirsty character whose zeal added to Salem's notorious events in the late 1600s, nicknamed the Strangler, after his preferred method of torture, which included tying his prone victims neck to their ankles until the blood ran from their noses. Corwin executed 19 men and women under the Crown's watch, including that of Giles Corey. Corey's torture consisted of placing heavy stones on his chest in an attempt to crush a confession out of him and seize his property. Despite his horrific treatment, Corey never confessed, and indeed he is said to have implored his torturers to pile on more rocks to hasten his departure. Legend states that just before he died, Corey cursed Corwin for his despicable acts. Sheriff George Corwin died of a sudden heart attack in 1697. His family interred him in the house's cellar, an odd place to put a body. However, the townspeople so despised the sheriff that his family was afraid that an unruly crowd would dismember his body. His grave remained there for many years before being moved to Broad Street Cemetery. Rumor is every sheriff after Corwin died in office or was forced out from a heart or blood ailment. I cannot rule out these illnesses and deaths. They could be just from old age instead of a centuries-old curse. The hauntings in this place consist of several things. One room, in particular, seems to be more haunted haunted than the others. An employee would lock her office door nightly only to return in the morning to find books and papers thrown across the floor, the wastebasket upside down, and lampshades askew. At least two entities who reside here, who were innocent victims of the witch trials, perhaps looking for Sheriff George, neither of these apparitions are at peace or happy by the sounds of it. One is the spirit of a woman with a black, rather wild hairstyle and maybe an unjustly executed victim. People see her apparition roaming the hallways throughout the building. This is the woman rumored to be in the Winsky photograph. The second is said to be the spirit of Giles. Trash cans are found, turned over, books are pulled from shelves, and rooms found in disarray. Sheriff George is a third entity reported. He appears as an older male entity sitting in a rocking chair by a fireplace. In the mid-1980s, people reported being choked by an unseen entity. No one is sure which entity causes this manifestation. Some think it is Sheriff George, while others believe it could be another one of his angry victims. People report many spirits, including the above-referenced elderly-looking gentleman sitting by a fireplace and a ghostly woman who roams the upper floors. Other paranormal activity include apportation, which is objects appearing to move of their own accord, occurs at the Joshua Ward house. 
Candles leap from their holders and subsequently melt, or candles are mysteriously bent into S, as in Sam, shapes. Alarms go off by themselves. One alarm was triggered over 60 times in two years. People report cold spots in certain corners of certain rooms. The reports of the hauntings in this house are numerous. Maybe one day it will be open for the public tours. Until then, we can only enjoy its extraordinary history and legends. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash mary-ann-poll. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.